Thank you for downloading this episode of the 155 Podcast, the public records interview series of all candidates in Hamilton's 2018 municipal election. For more election coverage, visit thepublicrecord.ca where you can sign up for our City Hall newsletter. Episode 2, Jeff Beatty, candidate for Ward 10 Hamilton City Council, recorded on August 2nd, 2018. Jeff Beatty, candidate for Ward 10, Hamilton City Council. Welcome to the Public Records podcast interviews of all candidates. We're recording this on August 2nd, 2018. Hey, Joe. Uh, so tell me, who is Jeff Beatty? Jeff Beatty. Well, I, I think I have many, I like to say I have many hats that I wear. Most currently, I've had the privilege of serving as the elected school board trustee for the Stony Creek area, Wards 9 and 10. Also served as vice chair of the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board for two years. I'm a business owner in Winona, a third generation business owner of a business that was started by my family some time ago, a fifth generation resident of the Winona area. Also a very proud farmer, father, and I'm a pretty good husband most of the time as well. I'm a very passionate person about my community and I spend a lot of time leading in the community, working with various community organizations and very proud to do so. Uh, all with the intent of just trying to make things better. Why are you running? I think when, it, when, the, when the ward was restructured in December of 2017, it offered an interesting opportunity. Uh, having served as the elected school board trustee for the last four years in Ward 10, and also having been a resident of Ward 10, uh, I lived for a number of years on Millen Road, I have a very good perspective of that community. And I thought that that perspective mixed with having been a lifelong resident of the Winona area, a business owner, community leader there, it gives me a unique perspective of both pieces of this newly created ward. And I wanted to use that perspective and use that role that I've been in for the last few years and, of course, 20 years of community volunteering, use that in a more positive way for our community. How have you contributed to your community? and our city. Well, Joe, most notably, of course, in the past four years as an elected school board trustee, and very proud of being part of a board that's been able to achieve a tremendous amount of investment in the Stony Creek area, over $35 million for investment in the Stony Creek schools, renewal of some of our aging facilities, replacement of some of our facilities, and I'm extremely proud of having been a part of that. Also, having been involved with a number of organizations like the Winona Peach Festival, the Easter Egg Hunt, the Halloween Parade, and also as a business owner, being able to, to give back to the community in that fashion as well. And I firmly believe that business owners have a moral imperative to their community to give back, and I'm proud to have been able to do that. And that's kind of the, the local context of what I've been able to contribute on a broader scale across the city. Uh, having served as the vice chair of the board gave me a really unique opportunity to see different parts of Hamilton, to experience different parts of Hamilton in a very local and intimate way. And I think that does give me an excellent perspective of what's taking place beyond the borders of Ward 10, Stony Creek, and Winona. What are your two priorities for Ward 10 and two priorities for Hamilton as a whole? Trying to narrow it down to two priorities is difficult, but I think for the ward, I'd start by saying an improvement of city services and the delivery of, of city services. And that's a broad statement. There's a number of services that the city is responsible to deliver. I think there's room for improvement in many of them. We want to make sure that, first and foremost, that Stony Creek is getting its fair share. I, I believe that 
we are paying for services that we are not receiving. I think that there's uh, an inequity that's taking place with some of the services that we should be getting, and I believe that we are paying for in, in terms of our taxation as compared to other parts of the city. And I want to make sure that that imbalance is, uh, is evened out, especially as we move forward with new development taking place in Winona, new infrastructure needs that are going to be happening there, making sure that we, for lack of a better term, get our fair share, I think is extremely important. Also, making sure that the perspectives of the two communities, as I alluded to earlier, are recognized and maintained. It's not a one-size-fits-all for this new community. And making sure that as we invest and move forward, that we're able to bring those kinds of services that we need in the way that we need them in the different parts of the community. And then those services, like I said, they're varied. It's programs and services for families, for seniors, it's transit, it's police service, it's fire and emergency services, it's maintenance, it's parks and recreation, it's, it's everything. And it all has to be done in a way that is responsive to the needs of the community. In terms of priorities for the city as a whole, I think that there's a disunity that is taking place in Hamilton right now. And I'd like to use my experience for, for the past four years of working on a board that worked very well together and bringing some of that uh, team-building approach, for lack of a better term, to be able to create more unity and a forward momentum for the city as a whole. If we continue to act as individual communities and not together, I think that we're doing ourselves a, a great disservice, and I'd certainly put a priority on that. And then in terms of uh, investment, it's the city and the whole. Investment in infrastructure, including transit and, and other uh, infrastructure pieces, we're lagging behind, and we really need to move forward on that. What three skills have you demonstrated that make you the best choice to represent us on city council? I think in the past uh, four years, and I'm drawing upon my experience as uh, in my current role, I've been able to do a number of things that have gotten a number of, of positive outcomes and results. And, and one of them is an ability to listen to the needs of, of the community, to understand uh, concerns when they're brought forward, to cut through some of the noise that sometimes comes along with uh, some of the things that you hear, and get down to what the core issues are and how they relate to the overall grand scheme of things. I'll give you an example. When a parent calls up the trustee, they're often very upset. And it, uh, it's important to listen very carefully to, to what they're actually saying and not to be offended, not to be confrontational, to listen, to respect the fact that they need assistance in some way and that I've put myself in that role to be the person at the other end of the phone that's getting yelled at. I mean, that's, that's why we're there. We have to accept that. Being able to boil things down to the, the core issues and deal with each issue individually instead of trying to lump something together and make a hasty uh, response or hasty decision. I think that's important. Number two, again, being able to work well with others. And that, that's broad in terms of working with, with staff, working with your colleagues and other elected officials other elected officials in different levels of government, not just within the sphere of City Hall, going beyond to uh, work with provincial and federal counterparts, working with school board counterparts, working with other uh, governmental and non-governmental agencies. I think that working well with others is, is extremely important, and I've certainly proven an ability to be able 
to do that. And then again, uh, the third component that I'd like to offer is a deep knowledge of the community. Being a fifth generation resident of the community, having that working knowledge that goes back into the 1800s, I've been able to understand how we've gotten to the place that we're at and also understanding what it's going to take to move forward. Enough with the easy questions. Let's get to a tough one here. Hamilton's facing what some reasonably refer to as an affordability crisis. There are around 100,000 Hamiltonians in their 20s and 140,000 over the age of 65. Both are facing housing challenges resulting from Hamilton's zoning restrictions, which prohibit the building of multi-unit or clustered housing, which is in scale with single-family housing, commonly referred to as the missing middle. As Hamilton grows, how do you plan to address this issue? How will you respond to nibbyism? And where do you believe this type of housing belongs in your ward? Thanks, Joe. It's a, a real issue. It really is. I have people that I know, friends, family members that are in this situation. We've got uh, young families that are living in the basements of their moms and dads because they can't afford housing. And while we like to think that we've done well with the housing boom and the real estate boom, it is causing pressures for those who are trying to enter the market. In terms of where should these types of development go, I do believe that along the main arterial corridors is most appropriate because that's where transit is. We need to have these kinds of housing opportunities, which are higher in density, in areas where they can be serviced by an effective transit system. Having them in outlying areas makes less sense in terms of being able to get people to and from these high-density properties in an effective way. In terms of where do these developments belong, I think that it's incumbent upon us all to share the load, if you will, in terms of making sure that there's affordable housing options in all parts of the city. And what it really comes down to is effective communication with the existing community. There's a lot of misconceptions uh, out there over what affordable housing will look like. It's uh, important that the community leader, in this case would be the counselor, to engage the community and make sure that incorrect information doesn't overtake the correct information. And I think this does happen all too frequently. There's a number of misconceptions, and that becomes the, the living reality, if you will, and people have a hard time accepting anything other than what they believe to be true. So you have to keep working at it. You have to keep communicating and engaging with people and make sure that the misinformation doesn't become the standard. And I think that once people understand a lot of the different components that we're talking about when we talk about affordable housing, they're more accepting of it and they're not going to have the same reaction to it. Thank you for that answer. What are two changes? you will propose to improve city services? So city services, that's, again, a broad spectrum of things. I would start by saying that you're never going to get to a point where you can say, we're done, we're finished, we've, we're delivering the services as effectively as we possibly can, and we can all go home happy. You're always going to strive to continually improve. And that's a business model that I use, and I think it's important that the city adopt something similar, continual improvement model. And that's looking at how do you ensure that the services that you're delivering are what is actually needed by the community that they're serving. You also want to make sure that the services that you're delivering are done so in a timely and effective way and an efficient way. I mean, budget is a component of it, but it's not always the overriding factor in it. 
So it's constantly reviewing the services that the city is delivering, holding them against the backdrop of of our priorities as a community, a strategic directions or or a vision uh, for the city. I mean, right now we say that the city of Hamilton strives to be the best place to raise a family and to age gracefully or whatever the phrase is. That's the standard, then our services should align with accomplishing that goal. Uh, If they're not, then we need to make changes to ensure that they do and doing that constantly. So that, I don't know if that's two changes. I think that's a multiple group of changes. It's a shift in the way that we do business uh, as a city to ensure that we're being effective in our service delivery. And that goes for all services that, that we're delivering. What are two changes you will propose to improve the quality of life in Hamilton? Well, again, going back to the the previous question, I think the two of them are quite similar because a lot of the services that the city offers and provides uh, have a direct effect on quality of life in the city. So you want to make sure that you're doing a good job of delivering those services, that you're delivering the services that are required and in a way that is in keeping with the needs of the broader community. But in terms of quality of life, you want to make sure you're holding the services that you provide against that backdrop of an intended outcome, of an intended goal. And if our goal as a city is to be the best place to raise a family, then you're going to look at ways to make improvements to quality of life. It's setting the conditions for success. You put in place the infrastructure and the services. You create conditions that will allow for a great quality of life. And a lot of that has to do with things as simple as safety and security, our emergency services, our police service, infrastructure, pedestrian infrastructure, cycling infrastructure, all of those things that we build as foundation for the community to flourish in. And it's, a, it's, it's broad, but I think that um, once you have that in place, that you'll see the community flourishes around it because you have a strong foundation and the conditions are just so for, for success and a good quality of life. Hamilton City Council decided against ranked ballots, which enable voters to choose a series of candidates they feel qualified for office. What is your position on ranked balloting? Ranked balloting is an interesting one, Joe, because in some sense, you actually do get a a much clearer and better defined majority of support for a particular candidate, and you have better plurality, if you will. And so I'm, I'm in favor of looking at it, for sure. Where I think we have to be very careful is that, number one, that we don't unbalance the ability for effective local representation. I always want to make sure that local representation is always at the forefront of whatever governance choices we make and political choices and electoral reform choices that we make. Local representation is always important. If we can do that in a ranked balloting system, I'm in favor. But when we make that transition, if we move towards that model, We have to do a very, very effective job of communicating this new system to people because they're not used to it. We have to do a better job than, say, we've done as a city in explaining the word boundary changes. Because let's be honest, we've done a pretty crappy job of letting people know that the word boundaries have changed. I'm out there every day uh, meeting people that have no idea that they're now in Ward 10 or that they're no longer in Ward 11 or that Ward 10 has gotten twice the size physically that it used to be. And that's the responsibility of the municipality to make that change known. And they've done a terrible job in doing that for this change. It would be chaotic if they followed that model. If they moved to a ranked balloting system, it would be chaotic at the polls. People just wouldn't understand. So there's a big education piece, an engagement piece that has to take place if you move towards that change. 
And as long as you have an effective plan to do that, I think it's worth investigating. Thank you for that answer. How will you improve civic governance and engagement during the next four years? Civic governance and engagement is something that I, again, going back to my experience with the school board, we've done an excellent job of improving over the last four years. I would take the experience that I've gained there and roll it forward. I don't think anybody would argue that the board hasn't done a much better job of engaging with its communities. We still have much to do, but we're better than we used to be. It's developing effective communication plans, engagement plans, not being afraid to expose ourselves a little bit to some of the truths and the ugly uh, comments that people want to make. You have to be able to be prepared to take that. You have to be able to use it in a constructive manner and open yourself right up. So I've done that in the past in terms of the engagement. I'm a big proponent of it. I want to see more of it. And I would absolutely commit to engagement on multiple levels, both at a high level across the city and locally in the ward. How will the City of Hamilton's vision statement guide your decision in hiring a new city manager, and what are you looking for in a new city manager's office? This is a great question. One of the first things that I had the opportunity to participate in when becoming a trustee was the hiring of our new director, and the director of education is basically the equivalent of the city manager at that level uh, within the board. We, as a, as a board, sat down and we created the, the criteria that we wanted to see in our new director, in our new leader for the system as a whole. And we use the backdrop of our strategic directions and our priorities as a board from which to develop that criteria. So I would do very much the same for a new city manager. You want the city manager's vision to align with the vision for the city that council has. It may require first developing that vision because I'm not so sure that could be properly articulated. Let's find out what the priorities of the city are and then use that as the criteria for hiring uh, a new city manager so that they can operationalize the vision that council has for the city. And those are going to be the questions that have to be answered. In terms of what are we looking for in a new city manager, we're looking for someone that is going to, number one, be able to operationalize that vision and will hold the system to account in terms of measuring against our strategic directions and our vision for the city all directions that are taking place. Everything that takes place in the city should reflect back to that direction that we want to head collectively. And the manager has to ensure that that happens. Politics is the art of allocating limited resources and compromising to find solutions. How will you do this? Well, Joe, if you think that the city has limited resources, uh, you should come talk to us at the school board. Our resources are even more limited. So we've spent the past four years, in fact, doing just that. How do we create infrastructure renewal plans and plans for uh, increasing supports for students and other such things when we continually are squeezed for funding? And all of our funding for the school board comes directly from Queen's Park. We can't add anything to the tax roll. So we're very limited in our resources in that regard, but we've been able to do it because we've prioritized what it is that we want to do, and we've developed sustainable plans to be able to do that. We're going to see investment right across the city in nearly every school that's going to bring them up to some level of standard benchmark, and I think that's uh, tremendous considering the limited resources that we have. I would do the same at City Hall and develop the plan that will see a standardized approach to the priorities that we choose, if it's transit, if it's infrastructure renewal, if it's safety and security, emergency services, 
all of those things, you can create change. You can invest in these things uh, with limited resources. It's just a matter of developing the plan and implementing it and maintaining that plan through the long haul. It can be done, and I'm absolutely confident and really quite excited for the opportunity to do that. That is the end of the prepared questions that you were sent in advance. Do you have any closing comments or remarks you wish to share with voters? Thank you, Joey, and thank you for the opportunity to be here. I want to speak directly to the voters of Ward 10 and say that I understand that change can be a scary proposition, especially in the world that we live in today. If we look around, we've seen change in leadership that has brought some unpredictability to our lives, and it can bring a, a tendency to shy away from making further change. What I want to offer to folks is don't just go with the status quo. Reach beyond and, and look at what's possible. And what's possible is change in a respectful, collaborative way. Change that you already, you already know. You've seen me in action. I've been a part of the elected school board for the last four years. I've been able to bring some effective change, some collaborative change, and I'd like to do more. But also as a community leader for the past 20 years, working in the community, trying to make things better, and I want to bring that on a bigger scale as well. I want to engage. I want to collaborate. I want to move things forward in Ward 10 and across the city. So on the 22nd of October, I'm hopeful that people will be comfortable with my style of change and elect a new voice for the new Ward 10, and that would be me, Jeff Beattie. Thank you. This has been Episode 2 of the 155 Podcast, the public records interviews of all candidates in Hamilton's 2018 municipal election. Thank you to the Hamilton Public Library for the use of the sound studio at the Red Hill Library branch. To learn more about the public library and its makerspaces where you can record your own podcast, visit the public library's website at hpl.ca slash makerspaces. The Public Record is Hamilton's local, independent, reader-funded news outlet. This podcast is made possible by members of the Public Records Press Club. Visit thepublicrecord.ca to learn more and listen to all episodes of the 155 podcast. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed. The Public Record is a member of the National News Media Council, a voluntary self-regulatory organization that deals with journalistic practices and ethical behavior. To learn more about the Media Council, visit the Media Council at mediacouncil.ca. Thank you for listening. See you at the polls on October 22nd.